The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 35 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 33, To Smash a Serpent. This issue is written by Stan Lee, art by Don Heck, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in October of 1966. Getting right into the issue here, we have a really very nice, very vivid, colorful cover. Not necessarily the best cover I've seen so far, but it's not bad. I said I really like the colors. They really pop. Very eye-catching. As a kid, if I saw this on the newsstand, I'd definitely be drawn to it, which is obviously the purpose of it. Now, the one thing I do want to point out is that we have Scarlet Witch on the cover, which would imply that the Maximoms are finally rejoining the team. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen this issue. And in fact, one source I read actually states that it was a mistake to have her on the cover and it was supposed to be Black Widow, who we will see play a larger part in this story moving forward. Now, we are picking up from our last issue, which was the Sign of the Serpent, which introduces this hate group, the Sons of the Serpent, and starting off right here on our big splash page, we get a significant amount of Sons of the Serpent rhetoric from the leader of the group, the Serpent Supreme. Now, this rhetoric, it's pretty blatantly racist. I mean, it is very much hate speech. And again, Stan Lee makes it very difficult for the reader not to make connections with groups like the Nazis and the KKK. So it's very obvious this group's intentions and also kind of where this issue is going. Now, as far as the art and as splash pages go, I don't care for it a whole lot. I mentioned this last time when Don Heck is inking himself. He's very, very, I don't want to say light on the inks, but the scenes come across as very well lit. So what to me could be a very intimidating scene here because we got Captain America strung up on this, this wall as a captive of the suns, you know, where it could be very dark and shadowy and kind of creepy and, and almost a little dungeon-like. Like instead, it, it almost looks like he's on a game show or like a brightly lit stage. And for certain villains, that might work better. The first one that comes to mind, the first two really are from X-Men, are Arcade and, and Mojo, who are both very much that kind of carnival or television or game show-esque kind of character. So it fits very well to have these very brightly lit, twisted takes on things like game shows. In this case, it really just looks like someone just turned on all the lights. I don't know if anyone's ever seen pictures of something like Space Mountain with all the lights on. It doesn't have the same effect as with all the lights off. And that's all I'm really getting at. As the Serpent Supreme gives this hate-riddled dialogue, you know, Captain America, obviously, because he's Captain America, very much in thought and in, in what he says, refutes the Serpent's, I mean, really his basic premise, that, you know, the Avengers are going to come over to their side and then the Sons of the Serpent will be unstoppable with the Avengers. And Cap really does his best to refute this. But again, being tied up, Cap's argument doesn't carry a whole lot of weight, and so the Serpent Supreme just walks off on Cap. And this is a great 
great detail I love. When Cap goes to free himself using his super soldier strength, he tries to pull so hard and, and rip the restraints off the wall. As he pulls on them, they hit some kind of hidden switch and electrify themselves. If nothing else, it at least tells me that the Sons of the Serpent understand who they're dealing with in terms of the Avengers and specifically with Captain America. Something else I realized in the process of reading this issue, especially these first couple of panels, because the speech is so reminiscent of Nazi propaganda, is that Captain America, in his physical appearance, is the epitome of a Nazi Aryan. Blonde hair, blue eyes, a physically perfect specimen. And it is so awesome that Jack Kirby and Joe Simon took that idea and flipped it so entirely against that ideology that Captain America is a character, certainly Captain America is is propaganda, there's no discussion there, but the fact that they flipped him into something that stands for everything that is opposite of what the Nazis stand for. Captain America is so antithetical to their beliefs. Really just, it's awesome, and and it really just kind of warms me down in the depths of my heart there, that these two men are able to turn something like that against its vile creators. Back in Avengers Mansion, things aren't quite as rosy as one might think. So at the end of the last issue, Goliath has Hawkeye basically equivocate for the Avengers, and the Avengers aren't taking any particular side. Now, Goliath has a plan, but he doesn't really convey that plan to his teammates. And as a result, there's a fair amount of mistrust going on in the Avengers right now, more so than there has been in a while. I think at least since Cap left the team briefly and then came back, after that there was a very strong sense of camaraderie between the the four Avengers, Captain America, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. And that's been thrown off a little bit with the return of Goliath and Wasp, but now with Goliath running the show while Cap has been captured, it's rearing its head a little bit more. So as Hawkeye is sitting around the mansion, kind of talking through to himself what's been going on, he hears an alarm, because finally the Avengers alarm system is working properly, and they're notified when somebody enters the building, and they don't want them to. And sure enough, Hawkeye finds two representatives from the Sons of the Serpent, and just as he is about to engage them, Goliath stops him, and the representative from the Sons of the Serpent explain that they have been invited and that they are here to present the demand of the Supreme Serpent. Now, unfortunately, here in the storytelling, things get a little bit off. We get one panel where the Sons are implied and then one where we actually see them. And then the dialogue tells us that they're here to give demands. But then about a page later, the same demands are given by one of the Sons of the Serpent's talking serpent staffs. So what it looks like here to me is that the Sons were supposed to have been sneaking in and they leave this serpent staff and Goliath stops Hawkeye from engaging them and the dialogue was written and doesn't quite match up to what's going on in the action. After Goliath stops Hawkeye from engaging the Sons of the Serpent, the two of them get into a bit of a spat. Now, and again, Hawkeye is is a little on the impulsive side here, but I kind of have to side with Hawkeye. Goliath keeps saying, I've got a plan, I've got a plan, I've got a plan, you need to trust me, but he doesn't fill his teammates' in on what the plan is. Not really. So when Hawkeye gets upset, it's because he doesn't understand what's going on. And that's not necessarily impulsive, especially when Goliath is doing things that are 
are very much otherwise not in the team's best interests. It's also interesting because Goliath talks about having given up years of his life, you know, basically to be a superhero. And while Goliath has been a hero longer than Hawkeye, if we're looking at purely just number of issues here, and again, one one issue a month does not necessarily coincide with one month. You know, we're on issue 33. That doesn't necessarily correspond to 33 months. But if we're going purely by issue numbers, I hate to break it to Goliath. Hawkeye's been an Avenger longer than he has. Although Goliath is a founding member, Hawkeye at this point has been an Avenger for 17 issues, and Goliath has been an Avenger for 16. So Hawkeye, at least based on that metric, has dedicated more of his time to being an Avenger. Now, I do think realistically that the time that Goliath was an Avenger and the time that Hawkeye was an Avenger, Goliath has physically more time. But again, it's a little fuzzy here. So eventually, though, Goliath does manage to talk Hawkeye down a little bit and explains that, hey, the team you were about to attack, the Sons of the Serpent, they were actually wired with explosives. And had you attacked them, they would have blown themselves up as a, as a suicide squad. And although Goliath thinks that he would have been okay, he's pretty certain that Wasp and Hawkeye would have been killed. So that's why he stopped them from attacking them. Again, that makes sense, but man, you gotta open with that. You gotta trust your teammates enough that you can tell them these things. And to be fair, we do see that this whole situation is really driving Goliath a little nuts. He's obviously acting out a bit. Like when he explains what's going on to Hawkeye, he picks up some equipment and just rips it in half. And it really is out of pure frustration that he does this. Now, this is the point at which we see the talking serpent stat that I mentioned a, a minute ago, and the Avengers are told that you need to report to the next Sons of the Serpent meeting, and you're going to give a public statement. And so the Avengers decide that this is, in fact, what they're going to do. Again, while this is all going on, we still have the meeting of the United Nations going on in New York at the same time, and we cut back to the evil General Chen. And it's really kind of interesting, this conversation, and I'm going to touch on this a lot more at the end of the podcast here, but these four panels really kind of hit on one of the fundamentals of American freedoms, and that is obviously the freedom of speech. And General Chen talks about the Sons of the Serpent and their hate speech and how this wouldn't be tolerated in, in his country. And the American delegates, it seems like it's just four American delegates and General Chen. It's a very odd mixture here, but the American delegates are very clear in their statement that, yeah, what the Sons of the Serpent have to say is appalling. They have the right to say it, and that's the difference. Anyone here can say whatever they, they want, so long as he keeps within the law. And that the difference between General Chen's country and America is that in General Chen's country, people are so afraid to speak, they don't even think about things that might be contrary to what the government wants. We also get revealed here that General Chen's whole purpose for being at the United Nations is to get a propaganda victory out of it, in that General Chen wants to point out how America can't police the rest of the world because they can't even deal with what's going on in their own backyard. They can't even deal with their own race and hate problems, which is an interesting and fair criticism at times. Now, again, after our little trip to the UN here, we return to Avengers Mansion, where Bill Foster is confronting Goliath. And, I mean, I'll be honest, this scene's a little bit tough. Bill Foster is extremely upset because the Avengers have not come out and condemned the Sons of the Serpent. And, in fact, they are going to attend the next Sons of the Serpent meeting. Now, Bill has no idea what the intentions of the Avengers are, but just the fact that they are willing to associate or willing to go to this meeting absolutely enrages Bill. And I think with very justifiable reason. These men beat Bill senseless purely because of the color of his skin and because 
because of the neighborhood he was in. Right? They know nothing about him. They know they don't have any idea that he is a very talented biochemist, that he's an intelligent human being. They don't care. And the fact that the Avengers, especially Goliath, whom he'd been working so closely with, is willing in any way, shape, or form to associate with these people disturbs him deeply. And unfortunately, again, because Goliath is playing his cards so close to the chest, he is unwilling to explain to Bill Foster what is going on. Now, he makes the claim that, oh, this is for Bill Foster's benefit. It'd be too dangerous for him. And in superhero stuff, I get it. But at the same time, it's a little bit, I don't know about frustrating. It's certainly condescending. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, it's the same argument that was used to deny civil rights to especially African-Americans. No, no, no. We're doing this to protect them. They don't know any better. They need our protection. So I get the point, the superhero argument here that's trying to be made, but the reality is it's a very slippery slope to even start down, and it's extremely condescending. Also, again, we have the just god-awful Bill Foster art. I don't know what's going on. He looks like Frankenstein's monster in this panel. I have talked about how much I like Don Heck's art for quite a while, but this is just what in the world is going on kind of art. We have not seen anything like it so far, and it's just awful. And it seems to only be centered around Bill Foster, which is really unfortunate. I mean, in this particular panel, we have Wasp in the background, who looks just fine. Now, to be fair, and the Supreme Serpent, his mask also looks a little wonky, but I mean, nowhere near that bad. So I don't know what's going on here, but it's just a very bizarre aberration within what is otherwise very solid art. With the Avengers attending the meeting, the Sons of the Serpent now prepare, and one of the things that they bring out is Captain America, who openly hails the Sons of the Serpent and proclaims that they must banish all foreigners and they must keep American blood pure. So this is very much not Captain America. This is very much a what-the-hell cap kind of moment. Modern comic readers understand that feeling very well, given the current Secret Empire storyline that's going on in Marvel Comics, and the fact that Cap very much has given off these very same sentiments, these very same feelings. I talked last issue about how it's impressive how a book from the 1960s, from 50 years ago, feels so relevant, and I'm going to touch more on that here at the end of the episode. But in more than just a societal comparison, it's just interesting to see some of these story concepts come back around and be done differently. And this is just one that it happens to be the time I'm reading this issue and the time I'm reading Secret Empire line up perfectly. And you just kind of got to scratch your head and go, well, kind of a curious little twist of fate there. As we start to see people coming into the meeting, this is going to be a pretty big meeting, and we see that Wasp and Goliath have arrived. However, Hawkeye is not there, and the Sons of the Serpent are pretty pissed. They said everyone has to arrive together, and Goliath makes some joke, and Wasp kind of plays off of it. Hawkeye's off parking the car. But in reality, Hawkeye is flying around, and he sees a cloud that isn't moving with the rest of the clouds in the sky. So he goes to investigate. Now, I understand why Hawkeye being up there and seeing this cloud doing its thing or not doing its thing really would interest him. I'm a little curious as to why he's up there in the first place. And from here, there's a little bit of storytelling, just kind of nebulousness in this issue that we just kind of have to accept. And so Hawkeye is up flying around investigating these clouds and he finds one that doesn't match the other ones. And again, it turns out it is hiding the headquarters of the Sons of the Serpent, which is a, a helicarrier-like craft hidden in the 
this cloud. Now, that's actually one thing I really dislike about this issue is the level of technology that the Sons of the Serpent have access to. I much prefer the idea that the Sons of the Serpent are this kind of grassroot, ground level, almost underground kind of organization political movement because that fits the ideology and everything a lot better, right? They're really just guys in costumes. If they're supposed to be an analogy for the clan, the clan isn't riding around in an Abrams tank. They run around in, in hoods and, and sheets and they're, they're very secretive and they're very kind of ground level. And this level of technology, I think just, you know, it's one of those weird things about the 1960s in, in Marvel is that anybody has access to all kinds of crazy technology and they use it whenever they feel like it. The other thing that's going on here that I don't care as much for is as Hawkeye lands his little craft on the Sons of the Serpent's ship, he really narrates to us exactly what's going on, and it's very obvious. I feel like that much narration, although somewhat endemic of the 1960s and, and Stan Lee's work, is really not required. It's very much overkill. Again, comics work best when you show, not tell. So you're already showing me what's going on. I don't necessarily need you to spell out every little detail that's happening. I can figure it out. In that same mindset, when Hawkeye lands on the ship, he immediately engages with a number of Sons of the Serpent Guard. And the book makes a very strong attempt to show you what's happening, but the execution is not there. Every panel focuses on Hawkeye so that we see Hawkeye jumping over here or shooting an arrow here, and we get almost two full pages of this without really seeing what's going on outside of fairly close-up panels of Hawkeye. So they're trying to show us what's going on, but they're only showing us a very narrow sliver of what's happening. And I think they could do a much better job of backing out a little bit or changing perspective to show you how the different characters are interacting, even if it's Hawkeye and a bunch of minions. You know, you can make minions doing things interesting. They don't have to be the focus of everything, but if there's a fight, show both sides of the fight. So finally back at the meeting, the Sons of the Serpent are getting pretty fed up and they say, that's it, we're moving on without Hawkeye. And they force Goliath out onto the stage to deliver this speech. And the Sons of the Serpent are convinced that Goliath is going to deliver the speech that they want. And the Supreme Serpent tips his hand a bit here and says, before the night is over, the Sons of the Serpent will be the most powerful organization in the land. Hatred, confusion, distrust, they'll spread like wildfire from border to border. And a nation thus weakened is a nation more easily conquered. Again, very much tipping his hand that he has a much bigger agenda here than just what seems like a fairly straightforward racial agenda. As Goliath comes out, he begins to deliver his speech, and very quickly, it is not the speech that the serpents want him to deliver. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this, because I really love parts of what he says here. He says, The reason I came here is to prove, in person, that everything that the serpents say is a pack of lies. In the name of patriotism, they seek to tear down everything good and decent that America stands for. But they'll never succeed. Our nation was built on freedom, not tyranny. Brotherly love, not hatred. Justice for all, not bigotry. And from a high concept intellectual perspective, right? Not talking specifics, but big picture, Goliath does a very good job of summing up why the serpents are wrong. He doesn't go into the details like the assaults and the intimidations and, and things like that, but he compares what is effectively the American dream, freedom, brotherly love, justice for all, to what the serpents are preaching in very clear terms, using words that not only very accurately describe what they they want, but are very clear in their intent 
for the American people, tyranny, hatred, bigotry. Those are words that are full of malice. Goliath uses his choice of words very, very effectively to convey his idea. And of course, because the sons of the serpent don't want this, from offstage, the supreme serpent calls for Goliath's death. And kind of as a, I don't want to say last resort, but certainly kind of the ace up their sleeve, the sons of the serpent send out Captain America. And at this point, the crowd is sent into a frenzy. Because on one hand, you have Goliath, who is espousing what are generally considered American ideals. On the other side, you have Captain America, who is the personification of those ideals deals saying that Goliath is a traitor and he doesn't represent us and that the sons of the serpent are right and the crowd is torn apart now the the issue doesn't really show it but I would not be surprised to see a straight-up riot in this meeting venue it looks like a theater as a result Goliath realizes he needs to get the heck out of Dodge so he teared down the curtain really to keep the crowd at bay he and Wasp take on some of the Sons of the Serpent goons and make their way out as the Supreme Serpent Captain America and some of the other goons also make their escape and the Sons ride this platform up to their ship which somehow and it's not really clear how Goliath kind of hangs on to without being noticed it's kind of that stereotypical science fiction rising level levitating, floating, whatever disc that goes up to the ship. And there aren't really any kind of handholds or anything, but Goliath is just kind of, it looks like he's doing kind of a Superman flying towards or flying behind the disc thing, but obviously that's not in his power set. But at any rate, Goliath gets on the Sons of the Serpent's ship and begins to engage with the various minions that are located on board, at which point he notes that they would have expected to see more Sons of the Serpent minions floating around. And we once again cut to Hawk who is engaging in a similar fight against more Sons of the Serpent minions. Just as it seems like Hawkeye is running into a bit of a, a trouble spot, up comes Black Widow and the real Captain America. So as it turns out, Black Widow hid away on Hawkeye's ship with Hawkeye's knowledge, so that while the Sons of the Serpent goons were involved with going after Hawkeye, Black Widow was able to slip out and free Captain America. And as our three heroes here start making their way back to Hawkeye's ship, they find Goliath and Wasp also engaged in a fight, at which point Captain America is able to very easily take out his doppelganger. Now, there's a cool fight scene between the two, which is great with the exception of I'm not really sure how some of the physics here work. Cap and this imposter get in a fight, and it looks like Cap throws his shield at the guy, but the doppelganger has the shield the whole time. The way the action plays out works just fine, it just doesn't quite match up with the poses the characters end up in. The other thing I'm kind of lukewarm on is Black Widow's involvement in the rescue of, of Steve Rogers, and that it feels a little deus ex machina to me. Not a lot, but just enough that I kind of go, wait, what? And it mentally bumps me out of the story a hair. And unfortunately, I really hate it when stories do that. I want to immerse myself into the story. I want to be one with the story, you know? And when something kind of jolts me like that, I go, wait, wait, what? Hang on a second. Where, where did Black Widow come in? And I got to flip back a couple pages or something. That really throws me off and I don't care much for it. Now, having said that, Black Widow does help out, aside from helping free 
Steve in that Hawkeye goes to confront the Supreme Serpent and misplays things just a little bit and instead ends up being taken hostage by the the Sons of the Serpent. And it's only through the quick action of Black Widow that he's able to get loose and then the Avengers are able to take down the Supreme Serpent, who, as it is discovered, is in fact General Chen. General Chen has been stirring up this anti-immigrant, very hate-filled fervor in the U.S. in order to divide the country and make it easier for his people to come and conquer the United States. That goes back to where I said the the Serpent Supreme is starting to tip his hand a little bit in that he's spelling out his plans. We just didn't know quite who they were attached to and that instead of being an internal threat, it's really more of an outside provocation under the guise of an internal threat. And at this point, the Avengers turn General Chen over to the authorities and they make their way home. And that's how our issue concludes. So... It's very interesting that this issue and the previous issue have come up when they did, given that in the interim, in the two weeks between the issues, that we've had all of the unrest and the violence in Charlottesville. I talked last time about how I felt it was interesting that a comic from 50 years ago, from the 1960s, spoke so clearly to us as a modern audience. Having no idea that four days after the episode was released, and to be perfectly honest, about three or four weeks after the episode was recorded, but having no idea of what was going to happen. And then it does. And I go back, and as I'm prepping for this episode, I come across Goliath's speech in front of the Sons of the Serpent. And it is staggering unbelievable how appropriate that speech is to what is going on to to be perfectly honest how appropriate this entire issue is to what has happened in the last two weeks from the arguments on free speech and why free speech is important to the appalling nature of what happened in charlottesville and the hateful speech to to be perfectly honest the divided state of our country over the event it is really amazing and to be perfectly honest a little disheartening to see how little things have changed in some respects since 1966. In a lot of ways, there are a lot of things that have changed for the better. I think we as a society on the whole are far more tolerant, far more accepting. We have taken significant steps from a legal standpoint to codify people's rights and to protect people under the law. People's opinions on race, on sexuality, on sexual identity, on ethnicity, on religion, in general, have become more tolerant and more broad. But having said that, it's fairly sickening to think that this fictional group from 1966 in any way, shape, or form can still have things in common with a real group from 2017. This issue also demonstrates the somewhat problematic nature of a character like Captain America, both in the comic universe And in real life, these characters are symbol behind which people rally in the name of patriotism. Like I mentioned, Captain America was a no-kidding piece of propaganda. He was written in 1941, several months before the U.S. joined World War II. His first appearance, the cover has him punching Hitler. That's not propaganda, I don't know what is. On that same note, though, because they represent these ideals, the characters can be used in a way that perverts the ideals that they represent, or that they're supposed to represent. Modern readers see that right now with the Secret Empire event that I mentioned before. In this issue, although it's not the real Captain America, because this fake Captain America, this Captain America lookalike, supports the Sons of the Serpent, it provides justification for other people to 
endorse this methodology and support the hateful actions of this group. Captain America is the American ideal. And if he's saying this is okay, am I being un-American for not agreeing with him? That's the kind of question that people start to ask themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I really love Captain America, especially in these early Avengers comics. He's probably the runner-up for me next to Silver Age Thor, because Silver Age Thor is just so ridiculous at times. But Captain America in this is, is so good. But at the same time, it's a very, I don't say difficult character, but a very interesting character and it requires you to be kind of cognizant of what is going on and the fact that you can't just assume that Cap's stance is right just because of the ideals he supposedly or theoretically represents. So the last thing I want to talk about here, I want to end the episode here on a little bit of a lighter note because, I mean, these last two issues have been pretty heavy. So in the last three issues, in addition to our normal artistic and writing credits, there has been the inclusion of an individual named Irving Forbush. Irving Forbush is not actually a real person. Forbush was the mascot for Marvel's old magazine, Snafu, which came out in 1950s. There are only three issues, and Snafu is a blatant ripoff of Mad Magazine. In fact, if you look at some of those issues and the appearances that Forbush had in them, he is also pretty obviously a ripoff of the Mad Magazine mascot, Alfred E. Newman, who is extremely well-known, but in fact, the look of Alfred E. Newman, and obviously to some extent Forbush, can actually be traced back as far as the 1890s, and a character of similar appearance was used in a number of different cartoons, newspaper strips, and ads. Additionally, we do see some vague references at times to Forbush past this, mostly in his alter ego state of Forbush Man. Most recently, I believe he was briefly included in Avengers after Civil War when they did the 50 State Initiative. He was a member of one of the, the state teams, I believe. And the story kind of behind it is that, you know, back in the 50s, before Marvel was Marvel, back when it was Atlas or Timely at the time, I don't recall off the top of my head, but Mad Magazine became popular. And so, like all good comics and magazines at the time, they ripped each other off constantly. Marvel decided to jump on the Mad Magazine bandwagon and make their own version called Snafu. And also, for those of you who don't know, Snafu is an old military term, short for Situation Normal, All Effed Up. Uh, if you don't know what the F part means, I'm not going to explain that one. Snafu only lasted three issues. Unfortunately, it's one of those things Mad Magazine really hit on a brilliant idea that was never quite duplicated anywhere else. And in part, it has to do with the people involved, and it also has to do with the time period and what was going on. Part of the reason Mad Magazine worked was because it didn't fall under the comics code because it wasn't a comic book, it was a magazine, gave them a lot more freedom to do things. There were a lot of things going on at the time that really led to the su success of Mad Magazine and didn't necessarily lead to the success of other similar magazines. But at any rate, Marvel made this magazine. Stan Lee came up with the name Irving Forbush, really liked it and didn't have another good use for it. So periodically it would just kind of appear in things and the last three issues were some of them. And if you look at what Forbush is actually credited with, it's a lot of ridiculous things. Like in this issue, Forbush is credited with being an invincible snake charmer. Uh, and another one, he was, I believe, counted as the scapegoat and yet another one as a gopher. So really just kind of random ridiculous things. But I love these kinds of little hidden oolies and touches within Marvel comics because it just adds depth, not just to the comic world, but to their place in pop culture.
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be stepping away from Avengers for a moment and taking a look at Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 3. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.